0: You've heard on this show before how to create a vision, but once you have it, how do you bring along others in your organization? On this episode, Michael Hyatt on how to sell your vision. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 482. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stehoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. And we've had many conversations over the years on the show about the importance of vision. It's such a key competency for leaders to be able to, if not master, at least be able to have the courage to do better. Today, I'm so glad to welcome a guest who's absolutely an expert on this and is going to help us not only to think about vision more effectively, but how to be able to sell a vision. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show, Michael Hyatt. Michael is the chief executive officer and founder of Michael Hyatt & Company. He has scaled multiple companies over the years, including a $250 million publishing company with 700 plus employees, and his own leadership development company that has grown over 60% year-over-year for the past four years. Under his leadership, Michael Hyde & Company has been featured on the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest-growing companies in America for three years in a row. He is also the author of several New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling books, including Platform, Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever, and Free to Focus. He enjoys the double win with his wife of 40-plus years, five daughters, and nine grandchildren. And he recently released his newest book, The Vision-Driven Leader, 10 Questions to Focus Your Efforts, Energize Your Team, and Scale Your Business. Michael, so glad to have you back on the show.
1: Thanks, Dave. Good to be with you again.
0: Well, a lot of people know you as the former CEO of Thomas Nelson. And at one point, you also started your own publishing house with your business partner, Robert. And you write in this book that my partner and I had a passion we had drive, we had ideas, we had execution, and we had confidence to spare, but none of that was enough to replace vision. You did have some early success in this venture, but what happened after?
1: Yeah, so we did have some early success. We had the privilege of publishing Oral Hershiser's biography. He was the famed pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. They had won the World Series, and we were able to publish that book, and that book hit the New York Times list, where it stayed for about four months in a row, which brought us a lot of cash, which was great and also a lot of opportunity, which you would think would be great. But as it turns out, the more successful you get, opportunities and distractions are sometimes difficult to differentiate. And so we got a lot of what were distractions masquerading as opportunities, but we got into all kinds of publishing ventures. We were publishing reference books, children's books, gift books, even a big Bible project. But we didn't have any way because we didn't have a vision script is what I call it in my my book, The Vision Driven Leader. But we didn't have any way to differentiate what turned out to be distractions from the vision And so we let our resources get spread too thin. Our focus was fragmented. Our resources were spread too thin. And we just ran out of capital. And that company basically went bankrupt and we were out of business, all because we didn't have a clear written vision. What did you discover about vision that you do now today? Vision is the foundation of everything. You know, if you're in leadership, it sort of presupposes that you're leading people somewhere. And if you're not clear on the somewhere, on the destination where you're leading people, what are you doing in that position? You know, so I think vision is the, is the prerequisite for leadership. If you don't have clarity around the destination, you really can't lead, lead people to a better future. So I think that's job number one. It's so the first thing you have to do. I don't care if you're running an entire company or you're running a division of a company or even a department. There's got to be clarity about what you're building and where you're going.
0: You mentioned vision script a moment ago. What is a vision
1: script? Yeah, you know, I got kind of tired of hearing people talk about a vision statement. And usually when people use that term, they mean something like a a short, pithy, brief kind of slogan that you could put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. But the problem is it's not robust enough to really kind of guide you as you begin to build toward the future. And I thought that just, that just doesn't work. Most of us aren't that clever to come up with something that's that pithy and that can really you know guide our actions over the course of the next three to five years. So I, I came up with the concept of a vision script. And this is something I developed sort of in a prototype form about 20 years ago when I first went to work at Thomas Nelson as a divisional manager. But my definition is this, it's a written document, three to five pages in length, It outlines a clear, inspiring, practical, and attractive picture of your organization's future. It describes reality as you see it, three to five years from now, it's written in the present tense as though it's already happened. So that's a vision script. It's a much more robust thing than a vision statement. And I've used it successfully in now a number of different ventures. And it's been like again the job the first job I I do the foundation of everything else that follows.
0: We had Cameron Harold on the show a while back talking about creating um, a vision script. Uh, he didn't use that term, but very similar to what you describe. What we didn't really dive into in that conversation was how to sell it. And this part yeah. of the book, and particularly, leapt out at me thinking about vision. I think many of us have heard we need to have a vision. We need to go through the process of creating a vision. Where I haven't really heard a lot of direction is, well, what do we do then to actually sell it to others? And that's such an important part of this. And the place you invite leaders to begin is with direct reports when thinking about selling the vision script. What makes direct reports a good starting point?
1: Well, first of all, these are the people that are primarily going to be responsible for helping you bring this vision into reality. So what I recommend in the book is this can't be, you know, a vision is not something you can delegate. It's not something you can outsource. It's something that has to start with you as the leader. So what I recommend is that you go off by yourself and you draft a vision script, get it about 70% of the, the way done. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, it's better if it's not perfect. When you come back to your organization, you're not Moses coming down from the mountain with the 10 commandments. You're just you know, a person that's been thinking about the future and you've got to approach it as though it were wet cement. So in terms of selling it inside, one of the things I encourage uh, people to do in terms of selling it to your direct reports is say, look, I've been thinking about the future, Jotted down a few notes here, and I want to share it with you guys because I I I really need your help to get this right. There's probably things I've missed, probably things that need to be tweaked, probably things that you know just aren't complete. And I need your input in order to make it right. And invite them into a conversation to fine tune that and transfer ownership. That's really what you're after in this initial stage. Selling inside is transferring ownership. And so that's where it begins, and I call this cascading communication, but once you've got your direct reports in alignment, then it's time to cascade that vision down to the next level. And then it depends on how many levels you have in your, your business, but then finally to the next level, and then ultimately to all the people that report to you, whether that's the entire company, or your division, or a department. But what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to have anybody in a position of leadership hearing it for the first time when you unfurl it to the entire team. You wanna be able to have alignment and support so that if there's people on the front line that have questions about it, the people they report to can say, oh yeah, I was part of the process, I support it, this is awesome. Does that make sense?
0: It does, and one part of the strategy that I was really interested in on the how to do this is your invitation that you make to start with those on your team who don't like change what's the reason to start with them?
1: Well, because they're going to usually give you the objections, right? You know, they're going to be the people that because they don't like change are going to more easily see the flaws in it. But one of the ways that you have to sell this when you're selling, because there's always going to be people in an organization that don't like change. I would say leaders typically are people that like change, you know, and probably they like it because they're usually in a position of controlling it. You know, people that are affected by it don't often have that control and so they resist it. But one of the things I found hugely helpful in selling a vision to anybody is to remind them at the very beginning what's not gonna change. If you can start with that, what's not gonna change That gives people a firm foundation, a footing by which they can consider and metabolize the change that you're proposing. So that's where I typically start in any organization. You've got to respect the past. Even if you're planning to make sweeping changes, you've got to respect that past and honor it, always remembering that what's in place right now that you want to change was at one time somebody's brilliant solution to a problem that existed then. And so if you just come in and like disrespect it, we're going to get rid of this, you know, it's it's very difficult. People naturally want to latch on to it, defend it, protect it to the death. But if you can respect it and you can acknowledge it for what it was and to say, look, everything has a season. This has really served us well. We want to make some tweaks to it as we go forward. Then people can, can let go of it and align around you. So that's, that's where I think you have to begin.
0: One of the things you write is, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I would yes. imagine that when... You get into this conversation with direct reports, and they're perhaps the people who are hearing this for the first time outside of you and and close associates, that it's hard to set aside your own excitement about the change. Like you said, a lot of us are excited about change as leaders, and to really step back and to slow down and to listen. What have you found that works for you to be able to get in that place to slow down?
1: Well, one of the things is to remind me that what I have is a draft. No matter how much I feel like what I have is brilliant or I've been given blinding insight into the future or whatever, that it's just a draft. And other people are gonna have different perspectives. And one of the things that helps me is to really get curious and to be someone who, who tries to formulate questions and draw other people out. My goal in a conversation like this, and frankly it's every leadership conversation, is I wanna create the kind of culture or the kind of environment where it's safe for dissent, where people feel like they can push back against me, they can get involved in vigorous debate with me, and there are not gonna be any negative repercussions. You know, I'm not going to penalize them anyway, either emotionally or I'm not going to, you know, humiliate them or embarrass them in the room. But I really want to invite them. And so that if they disagree with something in the vision, then that should make me curious. You know, well, tell me what you see and to force myself. And this is a, it's a good hack for me is to ask myself this, or ask them the second question, not just one layer of question, but to ask them a second question, something that they said, ask them to share more or to explain more, to dive deeper into that. So I can try to see it from their perspective. You know, everybody comes into a conversation like this with a different perspective, different set of experiences, different perhaps education, different life experiences. And oftentimes, those people can see the potholes that will save you enormous grief if you can avoid them and build that into the vision.
0: I mentioned to a few of our Academy members that I'd be speaking to you about this book, and a few of them had already read it. And one of the things that they were curious about is if you'd ever had a conversation like this with direct reports or perhaps seen a leader have a conversation like this, and it didn't go well. Uh, or didn't go at all as anticipated, and how they handled that situation. What advice do you have when you run into that, or you've seen other people run into that?
1: Well, I have certainly experienced it before, where I've, you know, basically got into conversation about the future, and particularly when there's going to involve a lot of change, and, you know, I can think of one specific person who is in charge of information technology, and this person's natural bent was to find the problems in whatever was shared. And I think if we're not careful as leaders, this is something that kind of naturally happens in the process of getting promoted. You know, we get promoted because we solve problems and we're able to see problems, spot them. And I think that a lot of people are taught, certainly in the academy, certainly in the colleges and universities that we attend, you know, to to always be looking for the problem to be a critical thinker. But one of the things I've had to do with people who are like that, who get those critical elements out too soon, is to coach them on the side. And to say, for example, to this particular vice president of IT that I had, to say, look, first of all, I want your objections. You know, if you see problems with this, I wanna hear them. But I just wanna encourage you that timing is everything. And sometimes you just have to wait, let everybody kind of blue sky, have have a blue sky conversation and brainstorm and be excited about the possibilities. We'll, we'll get to all the objections. We'll get to how we're gonna get there. But I need you to be thinking about the timing and be self-aware enough about the discussion to know that you don't want to shut that conversation down by your questions too early. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it just takes coaching.
0: Yeah, so helpful. One of the things that I have struggled with over the years with vision is the finding that sweet spot between not overwhelming people, but at the same time making the change that needs to happen. And you make the distinction between a vision being risky and stupid in the book. And I was thinking about that in the context of talking with Direct Reports. And I'm wondering, is this conversation a point with Direct Reports that helps you to calibrate that a bit as a leader of thinking about where do I find that sweet spot?
1: Yeah, I think it's helpful. And this is a model that I actually talk about in my book, Your Best Year Ever. And goals and vision are similar in this regard. And that is they they need to be set in your discomfort zone. So when I've explained to my teammates, that there are basically three different zones where you can set a goal or set a vision. One is in your comfort zone, and that represents an incremental improvement over the current situation. But the problem is all the goal research, all the achievement research shows that that's not enough to motivate people to really commit. And it doesn't really force innovation. It's just pretty much another version of business as usual. And that's not where you want to be, you know, talking about vision. So your comfort zone is not a good place to be. Then there's your discomfort zone. And this is where you begin to experience some fear, some uncertainty, and some doubt. If you feel a little bit scared, if the path isn't clear how you're going to get there, and we should come back and talk about that in a moment. And if you're doubting whether or not you've got the ability or the resources to pull it off, that's great. Those are indicators, positive indicators that you're in the right zone, the discomfort zone. Those are the kinds of visions, the kinds of goals that are gonna command attention, gonna force innovation and gonna, gonna keep everybody really committed and engaged to it. The third zone though, and this is like, you know, to bracket the discomfort zone is the delusion zone. You know, this is where it's it's so far out there that it it really, it costs you your credibility and people begin to wonder if you're nuts. And so you definitely don't want it in the delusion zone, but this is art, not science. You know, one way to get at it is what would be an incremental improvement that we think we could do and then dial it up from there or to go to the delusional zone and then dial it back. Again, you're talking about three to five years in most cases. So it's what you can accomplish, what you can build in a three to five year time period.
0: You've done so much great work with helping leaders do this for their teams, but also for themselves on the best year ever. Have you found a way that is helpful for people to take that first step into the art of that?
1: Well, I think, I think part of it, Dave, is that, and this sounds really simple, but people need to get away. They need to get out of the office into another environment where they can really lack, relax and give themselves permission to dream. You know, I think so, there's something about when we're trying to do this in the office with all the pressure with all the interruptions, with all the usual distractions, that it's very easy in that context to just kind of be in that sort of business as usual protective scarcity mindset. But if we can get away, and relax, give ourselves permission to dream and say, you know, what is it that I want? And I'll give you a concrete example. So back when I I first started at Thomas Nelson, I came in as a divisional manager. And so I was given one of Thomas Nelson's 14 book publishing divisions to start with. I was gonna be the general manager of that division. The thing I didn't fully understand was how bad a shape that division was. We were dead last in terms of revenue growth. In fact, we were shrinking. We were dead last in profit margin. we lost money the previous year. And so the first thing I did, well, first of all, the CEO said, how long is it gonna take to turn this division around? I had no idea, but I picked the number out of the air and I just said, I think probably about three years. And he said, okay, that sounds kind of what I was thinking anyway, so yeah, you got it. So I got the division's financials, I got our organizational chart, I got our publication schedule. And I went off, booked myself a retreat at a state park, and just spent the day just dreaming. And I started writing down on a piece of paper what I wanted to see three years from then. So I'm just imagined that I was three years from now, I'm making a report to the CEO, you know, now the three years have come and gone, the divisions turned around, what does it look like? And I had written down in the present tense, 10 bulleted items about the reality that I saw then. And it was very practical things, very concrete things. Like one of the things I said was that, and again, present tense, I said, we publish five New York Times bestsellers per year. it's a time we weren't publishing any bestsellers. And so I was envisioning a future three years hence when we were publishing five New York Times bestsellers a year. Then I said another thing I said is that we have cut our publication list from 120 new books a year to 48 new books a year. Now that may sound counterintuitive, but I felt like our our resources were spread too thin. Everybody was exhausted. We weren't giving books an honest chance to succeed in the marketplace because our resources were spread too thin. So I wanted to cut the number of titles in order to kind of conserve our firepower and give every book a better chance. So again, those were 10 of those bullets. Went back shared it with the team, as I'm suggesting here is as Wet Cement. The leadership team got very excited about it. We fine-tuned it. We ended up rolling it out to the entire division. But here was the amazing thing. It did not take us three years to accomplish that vision. It took us a year and a half. We went from number 14 in the company as a division to number one in terms of revenue growth, in terms of profitability. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And when you have clarity around a vision, it really accelerates progress toward it. That's the great value of actually getting this written and then building alignment and then driving execution.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for that example. And, and you mentioned one of the other key stakeholders in selling a vision too, which is, of course, your boss. And you, yes. you write in the book, when I had a boss, I had a basic rule. Don't take a swing unless I'm confident that I'll hit the ball. When you reflect on the times you did this, what were the
1: indicators to you that you were confident? Well, here's the way not to sell your boss. The way not to sell him is to try to make the case of how it's going to benefit you. Now, I hate to say it. I don't care how altruistic your boss is. They don't really care. It's so much easier if you can sell it in terms of how it's going to benefit them. So in other words, what's important to your boss? How is the plan that you're proposing, the vision that you're proposing, how is it going to help your boss get more of what they want? If you can kind of couch it in those terms, if you can pitch it on those terms, you got a much better chance of getting your boss's nod and getting them to say yes. Every time I did that, and I had a very difficult boss at Thomas Nelson. I eventually ended up reporting to the CEO. All my colleagues had enormous problems with him, and they could never get what they wanted. And I figured this out early on. I'm not sure how, but I stumbled upon it. I guess maybe because I had a background in sales, but I would always come to him a little bit detached from the proposal that I was pitching, which may seem counterintuitive too, because you think, no, you got to be compa- you know passionate about it. And I was just I was trying to pitch it to him in terms of this is how I think you're going to get more of what you want is if you allow me to do this thing. And I got a yes almost every time.
0: Huh. Fascinating. We've made the point on the show before that. Your boss is often your biggest customer. And I pulled a quote you have on this from the book. Before you schedule a time to pitch your proposal, answer the question, how is my vision script going to help my boss achieve their goals? If you can't answer that question, you're not ready to make the pitch. I've seen the same thing you have. So often it seems people go in with thinking about it from what does this mean for me versus thinking about it from my boss. How do you know you have a clear answer on that question?
1: I literally put together the proposal or the vision from that perspective. And I'll give you a g- good example. You know, this, is, this isn't this is selling a vision, but it's selling a, a, a project. I had a senior vice president of marketing when I was at Thomas Nelson who needed a couple of extra marketing people. He needed a copywriter. He needed a graphic designer. He could have come into that meeting with me and said, hey, look, my people are overworked. They're exhausted. They don't have any more margin. I need you to authorize these two people so that we can you know, get them some relief. Well, you know, I, I like to think that I care for people and am altruistic, but the bottom line is that doesn't really help me solve a problem. But what he did do, and this was the genius of it, he came in and he said to me, look, he said, we're already spending about twice with contractors what this would cost us to hire two people internally. If I do this, it's going to get my people relief for sure, but it's going to save us about $100,000 in expense if I hire them and bring them inside. Well, that helped me get what I wanted because I'm I'm looking for more profitability. I'm looking for more more margin. In that kind of scenario, I win and I'm acting in my best interest as his boss for approving that proposal. So it was kind of a no-brainer.
0: You talk about the importance in the book of making a good presentation and doing what what he did all those years ago when you are teaching people and coaching people how to present that well to their boss what's one thing you want them to keep in mind during the presentation itself start
1: deductively and here's what i mean by that start with what you want and then lay out as much evidence to prove your case as is necessary and when the customer in this case your boss says yes shut up pull your papers together and leave I've seen so many situations (laughs) where somebody got the yes from me or from when I was working and reporting to the CEO, they got the yes and they kept talking and they unsold the sale that they had just made. So the thing that I, I hate, and I think this is true for a lot of leaders, is I need the bottom line. Don't keep me guessing. The worst thing is to work through the proposal inductively. You know, start with a lot of background and start with a lot of evidence. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm totally distracted because I'm thinking, where is this going? What do you want? Tell me what you want and then work backwards. And I always work, I've always worked as a boss better. Most leaders I know work that way.
0: I've seen the same thing you have as far as folks overselling something. And I made that mistake many times myself early in my career. And the part that was... Always hard was the transition of, okay, I got the yes, and then what do I say next to end the
1: meeting, move on,
0: whatever. What has worked for you on a transition?
1: Well, one of the things you can do is just change the subject. You know, stop talking about that current subject and change the subject. Go to the next item on your agenda. You know, thank them. You know, thank you very much. Sounds good. I'll report later when I have more information, and we're done you know transition leave if you can it's true in all of sales but it's a basic sales technique
0: the other constituency of course of selling the vision is selling it throughout the organization selling down as you talk about in the book and one of the things i hear as a frustration point from a lot of leaders is they feel like i'm talking about the vision so much i'm tired of hearing myself talk about it so certainly i am annoying everyone else and you have a strong perspective on that in how we should think about that as far as how often we're communicating the vision.
1: Yeah, you've got to communicate and over-communicate the vision. The only thing in the early stages that gives the vision life when people can't feel it or touch it or see it is you speaking it and continuing to speak it into existence. And my friend Andy Stanley says that vision leaks. And it's true. I imagine people walking around with buckets and you pour the vision into it, but the bucket's got a hole in it and it leaks. So like during the Great Recession, when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson, it was a very difficult time, not unlike the time we're recording this in the middle of COVID, where, you know, people are so anxious and people are so focused on, you know, keeping their businesses running and moving forward and all of that, that, you know, vision seems like something that's so far out there. And it's just something that's that's difficult for them to connect with. And my executive coach at the time said, she said, now, look, during this time, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. You've got to keep preaching the vision. Don't give it up. Otherwise, people's work will become meaningless and they won't be engaged. So I did that. So I came back to her after a a couple of months and I said, Eileen, I am so tired of talking about the vision. And she said, are you really tired? I said, I am so tired. I'm tired of hearing myself talk about it. She said, then you're about half done. Now go out there and keep preaching it. And she was exactly right. And even in the midst of the COVID pandemic, you know, I've been preaching the vision to my own team. You know, we're we're reviewing it on a regular basis. I keep talking about the vision because honestly... Three to five years, the vision probably doesn't change that much. Yes, your strategy will change. Strategy is very different from vision. Strategy is about how we're going to get from where we are right now to that destination that we've articulated in the vision. But the vision should remain fairly constant. That's your North Star. And people lose their bearings and lose their way if you don't keep talking about the vision.
0: I appreciate your direction on how to sell this. It is one of the 10 questions that are in the book. And your team has been gracious, Michael, to put together a resource for our listeners as a starting point for what's next. How would folks dive into that if they want to really get into this even more on the rest of the questions?
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, buy the book. And you can buy it from any retailer, but save the receipt, okay? So save the receipt and then go to visiondrivenleader.com slash innovate, visiondrivenleader.com slash innovate. And there you'll plug in your receipt number and you'll get $200 worth of free bonuses, including, and this is one of my favorite tools, is the vision scripter tool, which will actually take you by the hand and walk you through the vision creation process so that when you're done, you have a draft of a vision script that you can then take to your team for fine tuning.
0: Thank you so much for the resource. We will have all of that linked up in the episode notes and this week's weekly guide, of course. Michael, one final question. You know, leaders are learning, they are growing all the time. As you have been going around the world, teaching leaders, helping folks to become more effective over the last couple of years. I'm curious what you've changed your mind on in the last year or two.
1: Well, you know, we're in a in a season of unprecedented change. And One of the things that I thought early on with the pandemic was that this is going to make possible all kinds of virtual meetings that we could otherwise not do. And I saw the possibility for that. And one of the things I've changed my mind in literally in the last 60 days is the realizing once again, the power of in-person meetings. And so I I guess where I'm at now is that I see the value of virtual for sure, but I also see the value of in-person meetings. And I think if more than anything, I really look forward to that. And I think most leaders do. I think there is a power in leadership that only comes from actually being with people. You know, you can, you can do what you can on Zoom, you can do what you can remotely, but getting your team together on some kind of regular basis, there's nothing like that for them to be able to, you know, just be there and pick up on the nonverbal stuff that you can't communicate just in a, you know, two-dimensional way like you can on video conferencing.
0: Michael Hyatt is the author of The Vision Driven Leader, 10 Questions to Focus Your Efforts, Energize Your Team, and Scale Your Business. Michael, thanks so much for your wisdom. Thank you, Dave. Several related episodes to this conversation. The first one's way back on episode 40. That's when Michael was last on talking about how to get noticed in a noisy world. In that conversation, we featured his best selling book, Platform. If you are in the midst of starting a business, uh, maybe even starting something, Online, It is a wonderful primer for how to begin, uh, really looks at the entrepreneurial steps, but also uh, probably even more importantly, the marketing behind that. Episode 40 is a great starting point for you on that. Also recommended uh, directly related to this conversation, episode 345, how to create. A Vivid Vision with Cameron Harold. Uh, Michael and I didn't talk as much in this conversation about how to actually create that vision script. Uh, we dove in on that in detail in episode 345. Cameron walked us through how a leader may begin that, how to actually go through the process of Writing out that script, a very similar message to uh, many of the things that are in Michael's book, episode 345 for that. And then of course, episode 473, Embracing a Just Cause with Simon Sinek. We talked about some of the big picture things around vision and why in that conversation I'll be very helpful for you as you're thinking about creating a vision and, of course, selling it inside the organization. And then finally, I'd also recommend a free audio course that is on the coachingforleaders.com website. It's a good complement to this conversation. How to create your personal vision. Maybe as part of vision, you're thinking about not only the organization, but your own vision. That's one of the things that we do as the academy gets started uh, each time is have each leader create their own personal vision. If you'd like to access that, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and once you're inside, just click on courses, and there's an entire audio course there for free, how to create your personal vision that'll get you started on everything you need to know. And the best way to access that is to go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, it'll give you access to that audio course, plus all the other free audio courses that are there, plus access to my weekly leadership guide, the member cast, and the entire library, searchable by topic since 2011. Dive in there. Just takes a couple of moments to set up your free membership. Next week, Bonnie and I are back taking questions from you. If you've got a question, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go. We'll see you back next Monday. Take care, everyone.